It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and today we're joined by the fantastic host of the Locked On Raptors podcast, Sean Woodley, Alex, for a full preview of the team and so much more. Yeah, we're talking Raptors and Knicks. We're both given some perspectives from both sides. It's always fun to do these episodes with the host of another show. So we talk with Sean about what to expect out of the Raptors this year, where he thinks they're at, whether he thinks it was a mistake to not get more involved in the Kevin Durant discussion and Spoiler alert, he asked us pretty much the same thing about whether the Knicks should have gone more all in on the Donovan Mitchell saga. So there's lots of interesting parallels to take between the teams, as well as lots of huge differences, as we know. And that's all coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and we want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We're now available on all platforms. Uh, you can check us out on YouTube. You can check us on your favorite podcast platform. Wherever you're doing it, download, subscribe, like, comment, all that good stuff. And if you're looking for a second listen, may I suggest Locked On Giants because the G-Man Alex coming off a big win as we're recording this. But I, I don't. I'm not even. I'm not even going to mention the other New York team. There's no. There's no need to gloat. It's How just, about Locked On Mets? Let's do Locked On Mets, number one show no, on the Locked On MLB it just, Network. It's just not as. I, I look, look, I'm sure they're great, but it's just the Giants. The Giants <laughs> are the talk of the town right now. Anyways, who, who's who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, the editor in chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website in the whole wide world. You can check them out on all forms of social media at thestrick.land. And today we are joined by, once again, Sean Woodley, the host of Locked on Raptors, the manager of the Locked on Podcast Network's NHL channel because he is based in Canada. And in the next minute, you'll hear a regrettable comment from yours truly about where Sean ranks on my list of favorite Canadians. Uh, just know that it is a deep fake, uh, not real. Uh, so you can, you can ignore and not hold me accountable for anything said in that regard. But without further ado, let's get into it right now with Sean Woodley. All right, guys, as promised, we are lucky enough to be joined by the fantastic longtime host of the Locked On Raptors podcast. It is our favorite Canadian, Sean Woodley. <laughs> Sean, how's it going, man? How's, how's the weather up there? 
I'm so thrilled to know I'm uh, a better Canadian than R.J. Barrett. I uh, you can't take that back oh. now. I am your favorite. I meant, Canadian I meant, I meant currently, it's, currently it's residing. <laughs> currently residing. The qualifier is already in the episode description. You're not going to catch me. On that. I, I, I appreciate it, Sean. We, I, I might have might have missed that moment. Too. You know, Gavin. I, I heard that come out of your mouth, and I was like, oh. <laughs> What did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> Six fans are flocking away from the pod to uh, just to, to find a podcast, frankly, that appreciates R.J. Barrett. Lockdown you know Raptors it, does. Don't worry. Uh, yeah. If, 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 R, if R.J. comes on, he's he's back. He's back up to number one for sure. But there but you Sean, go. Now you have I, a hook. Yeah. I, I, I want. I want. I wanted to talk about an, another another big time New York basketball player that unfortunately doesn't. Play for the Knicks, and that we'll start here. A little, 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 little early history this summer. Kevin Durant, uh, where were you yeah. at on the Raptors' pursuit of KD? And are there any regrets? I mean, a, a team that uh, won its first championship by going all in on a similar talent in a similarly awkward situation where it might not have been a long-term fit, but they, but Masai Ujiri decided to roll the dice and it, it paid off in a big way. And this summer didn't make that same decision, not perfectly equal situations. It would have taken a lot more to get him in the building. Do you have any regrets about the Raptors not finding a way to get Kevin Durant? I certainly don't. I don't think the Raptors do either, frankly. Like, I, I think the asking price was justifiably ridiculous for the Nets. And the Raptors were never under any pressure to go and offer the best offer because they were kind of in a position where if they put Scotty Barnes on the table, they're getting Kevin Durant, most likely. But why would you bid against yourself in like, all right, well, no other team even has a remotely close offer or asset available, potentially, as good as Scotty Barnes. Why would we go and then like play ourselves by putting clearly the best thing that any team is going to give the Nets on the table? It just never made sense. And I, and I think... It is a very different situation from the Kawhi thing a few years ago. That version of the team was at the end of like a six or seven year run where there were playoff heartbreaks and you getting swept by LeBron and LeBronto and all this stuff. Like it kind of felt like time to take one last gamble on that team. It was probably going to blow up after a year anyway, had they kept DeMar or not. And it just, it was kind of a no risk situation and they give up one first round pick who becomes Keldon Johnson who was nice along with Jakob Pertl and DeMar DeRozan and they get a championship out of it like even if they hadn't won the championship it would have been a no-brainer deal for the Raptors not so much the case this time around this is sort of a fresh new team that overachieved last season they won 48 games weren't really expected to do that were the five seed and they have Scotty Barnes who is 20 years old and looks like he's going to be a very very good player potentially one of the best players in the NBA over the course of the next 10 years I don't think they felt the pressure to go and make a big move by mortgaging their future with Scotty Barnes had there been a deal where the Nets have to settle for like an OG and an OB Gary Trent Jr. Precious Achua and all the picks type of package they probably pulled the trigger I would imagine that offer was on the table the entire summer but with Scotty Barnes he's just too much of a sort of sure thing for the next 10 years as opposed to a 34 year old Kevin Durant who you don't even know if he's going to be happy upon landing in Toronto so no I don't think there's any regrets it would have been nice to get Kevin Durant on the Raptors but the team is not in a position where they're under any pressure it's very rare to be in a spot where you can be patient but the Raptors are very much one of those teams right now so I actually we did a a big draft of all the teams in the NBA and who we would want to most have over the next 10 years. And I raised eyebrows when we did it. It was, we had a guest on, we did, you know, every, every team in the NBA, I raised eyebrows taking the Raptors number two overall, but it's mostly because of what you just said. I feel like they have a lot of flexibility going forward. There's a lot of upward mobility potentially with, if Scotty Barnes turns into like a megastar, which mm -hmm. I think it's very realistic that he could, uh, it, there's also a chance that he couldn't, but you know, we'll see how that all goes over the next number of years. Certainly don't want to bet against the Raptors development program, which seems to be amazing compared to like right. the whole rest of the NBA. I'm kind of <laughs> curious where you stand, though. The reason that I got some raised eyebrows when I took the Raptors number two was because like Gavin and our guest Marcus at the time were kind of like, well, do they have like that guy to mm -hmm. like potentially turn to in a playoff series and say, like, go win us the game. And like, sure, I agree with that. I don't think it's Pascal Siakam. I think Siakam's a great, he, uh, the way I look at Siakam is almost like a, like a 
supercharged Draymond Green, you know, where he's like mm-hmm. a much better scorer, but mostly a guy that's going to kind of hold your team together, you know, provide a, some ball handling out of the big man spot, uh, great defense, all that good stuff. Uh, then you've got Van Vliet, obviously, who's a really good scorer, but can probably be shut down by the right defensive scheme thanks to his like lack of size and lack of overall like separation ability and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, there's OG Ananobi, who's a talented scorer. Scotty Barnes still working his way there. We'll see how he ends up going. But do you think, you know, I guess that's where the Durant thing comes in. Do you think at any point that this team will feel any sort of urgency to get that, like, I don't know if I want to call it just strictly a volume scorer, but like that, mm-hmm. that like playoff player that, you know, the the guy that can, you could just hand the ball to and say, go get a bucket. Or do you think maybe that guy is already on the team, you know, because none of these guys that I just mentioned are particularly old either. And a lot of them yeah. still have some room to improve. Yeah, I, I would say, I think you're underselling Pascal Siakam a little bit. Like he was ridiculous last season. And if you were doing like an MVP poll for the last half of the year, he would absolutely warrant being quote unquote in the conversation, that very wonderful place we all love to be in the MVP race. Like he would have probably picked up like second half, fifth place MVP votes, which means nothing. You're not going to hang a banner for that. But like he was fantastic last year. He made an all NBA team. It was totally deserved. And he was essentially the engine of the Raptors offense. It was not totally dissimilar to what you see with like the Mavericks. Obviously, he's not Luka Doncic, but he was being asked to play as though he were Luka Doncic because they didn't have a whole lot else in terms of creation, especially down the stretch when Fred Van Vliet was like horribly injured. He could barely walk. His knees were rubble. And Pascal had like this crazy usage rate. I think he was fourth in the NBA in total isolations last season, and he performed really really admirably the playmaking took another serious step and had kind of been in in the growth phase for a couple of years but it leveled up last year and the scoring I mean he's an absolute ace scoring around the rim he you know really amped up his mid-range game and it was mostly like his above the break three-point shooting that brought down any of his percentages he was like the lead he was actually the best Raptor in terms of quarter three-point percentage last season like he kind of did it all while also being the anchor of their defense he is a lot closer to being quote-unquote that guy than I think a lot of people kind of give him credit for. Um, Do I think he's the best player on a championship team? Probably not. Like, I think that's a lot to heap onto a guy who's 27, 28. Like, I don't know how much more growth there can be, but he's a damn good, like, he's already proven he can be the second or third best player on a team that literally wins the championship, and he is so much better than the player he was back when they won the title in 2019. He's made All-NBA twice since then. He's fantastic. And then I think Scotty Barnes is sort of the guy they think will be that guy at some point, and I, I think it's fair to look at him and and think that's attainable. He can handle the ball. He can score and kind of get to his spots inside wherever he wants at any time he wants with his sort of bizarro herky-jerky drive and, and post-up game. He has great vision like and is going to be a fantastic defender as well. So I really do think that their reasoning for not going to get Kevin Durant was, well, what if Scotty Barnes is just that guy and he's one of the top 10 players in the NBA in five years anyway? Do we really want to go give up something for Kevin Durant, who is not a sure thing to even want to be here? Um, you know, will they have to maybe reckon with things? You know, I think this year will kind of be a really telling year. You know, by the end of the season, there might be a little bit more information as to, you know, what will Scotty Barnes be? What's the ceiling for Pascal? Does he take another step or no? Um, you know, that, that all could change. But as of right now, I don't think they're kind of in a rush to go find that guy because I think they probably think he is on the team in the form of Scotty Barnes. It just might not be right now that he is that guy, but I do think this season we'll start to see the team take shape where it's Siakam and Barnes as kind of the two dueling heads of the snake and then everybody else kind of operating in their orbit around them. And I think they're just fine with that to try to test and see what the limits of those guys are. All right, guys, we'll be back with Sean to finish up talking about the Raptors. And then Sean is going to grill us on the New York Knicks. So for some interesting Knicks questions, some insights from an outsider perspective, uh, stay tuned. But first, betonline.net is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. You can find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week's games. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And on top of all that football, Alex, they also have NBA odds, including uh, each team's individual odds to make the playoffs. I am I am looking for our New York Knicks right now. They have pretty good odds on the Wizards. The Knicks are plus 155. 
to make the playoffs, minus 190 to miss the playoffs. If you're feeling good about the Knicks, why don't you head to Bet Online, lay some money down because it's the fastest and easiest way to check on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. All you have to do is head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is the most valuable NBA player this season. Locked On and Bet Online present the NBA Top 50 Most Valuable Players starting on September 19th, right around the corner. Find it on Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. And now we get back into it with Sean Woodley. Yeah, where, where, where do you think Barnes tops out as an offensive player? Because I, I yeah. can't say I've beyond when they play the Knicks, I've, I've watched a ton of him. But to me, just on a very surface level, even though they're different players in a lot of ways, I see a lot of the same concerns and also a lot of the same things that excite me as I do about R.J. Barrett as a guy who can, to your point, like figure out his way around the rim, perhaps is better touch than R.J. Once he gets there, does have that extra size that makes it a little bit less of a necessity than, than for R.J. that he becomes dominant as a pull-up shooter but then you, I mean you look at outside of Giannis like the profiles of like all the best scores in the NBA that aren't aren't centers or, or Giannis and it is sort of that like that mid-range game the the pull-up three-point volume is obviously mm-hmm. so crucial like how sophisticated their handle is how explosive they are do you see him as someone who can eventually fit the profile of a, a Paul George type of player for lack of a better term or, or is he is he more unique and is he going to be that good but very much in his own way that that's almost separate from the archetype of, of sort of the dominant big wing that I, I think Alex was kind of getting at earlier. I think that is probably closer to it. The latter there, Gavin, like I, I think Scotty Barnes has like this very distinct style of play. And he's also just like insanely strong. Like that's the thing that really stands out. He was, you know, I guess nominally a wing player on the Raptors last season, but like he was their biggest guy. He, like this is not a team that had anyone over six foot nine. Scotty Barnes, I think, is it's like he's being wrongly listed at six foot nine. He's enormous. Like he played center for this team, and like it was like, oh yeah, obviously he's the biggest player on the floor. That makes sense. He's just long. He's broad. He's strong. He can move guys out of the way, basically a will get to wherever he wants to go. I don't think he's ever going to be Giannis in terms of like the physical dominance that Giannis shows because that's like alien stuff. But I do think if you're going on like a sliding scale from your traditional sort of smooth handling wing like a Tatum or a Paul George to a Giannis who's more of this bruising sort of in your face type of dude, I kind of think he skews more towards the Giannis archetype of just like good luck trying to stop him because he's just stronger than you are. And sometimes that's all you need in basketball is to be able to get to the rim at will, which I think he's going to do. Like he was a really good rim scorer last season, pretty solid isolation guy, you know, really confined matchups to exploit. And with the way the Raptors are built, like there's always someone with an, like a a matchup to exploit size wise as well, because the whole team is six foot eight, six foot nine at most times. So they're always able to find those looks. And that really was a big part of, you know, how they got Scotty Barnes worked into the offense last season. I would imagine, there will be a little bit more in terms of designed actions where he's the initiator where he's running pick and rolls things like that this season as I hope they kind of move Fred Van Vliet off the ball a little bit more um but yeah like as far as like topping out I, I don't think it's crazy to suggest that Scotty Barnes will be a top 10 player in the NBA at some point where he figures into the top 10 is he in the sort of swing the title contender tier where you're top five or is he more sort of the Jimmy Butler-ish range of guys like I think it's probably closer to the latter but also he was so far above expectations and was just like this supercomputer of learning basketball and learning from his mistakes all year long last year. I kind of have a hard time putting a cap on the dude. Like he is really, really special and was super fun to watch last season. I can't wait to see what's in store this year. Um, but yeah, I think the Raptors got themselves a keeper in Scotty Barnes for sure. And I do think top 10 in the NBA is very much on the table for his future. Not guaranteed. It never is, but He's kind of got that vibe about him that he's just like better than everybody else. And he kind of knows it. Well, so this begs the ultimate question uh, with all these discussions on the Raptors. What do you think happens with them this year? 
Yeah, I think the Raptors are going to be surprisingly good. It's kind of their thing. I, you know, we were talking off air before. The Raptors have hit their Vegas over eight of the last nine seasons, and the one season they didn't was the year where the whole team got COVID and they played in Tampa Bay for the season and were getting booed by their home crowd to the point that they stopped letting fans in the building. This team just wins a lot of games. Nick Nurse is really good at milking wins out of whatever roster he has. Even that Tampa season before things went to crap, they were like the fourth seed in the East, and then everything fell apart when all their guys went down. And so, like, they just have a track record of knowing how to pick up wins and knowing how to become a regular season wins machine. How that translates to the playoffs, it might be, you know, kind of similar maybe to the previous editions of the Raptors with DeMar and Kyle, or maybe they're a little bit less equipped for the playoffs than they are the regular season, but... That team also didn't really have anything in the way of large two-way wings. That's all the Raptors have, which, as we've seen, is kind of a thing that works out in the playoffs. So, And I think we saw in the Sixers series last year, while they lost because they were at a clear talent disadvantage, Gary Trent Jr. was sixth, Scotty Barnes missed two or three games with the ankle thing. Like, you know, I still think we saw how... You know, that can kind of translate to the playoffs a little bit more maybe than sort of like a guard, small player oriented attack. Uh, I think, you know, they're going to be a pretty good team. The fact that the Cavs are, you know, going to jump up probably and the the Nets haven't fallen apart and the Hawks got DeJounte Murray. Like the East is going to be a bear, but I kind of think the Raptors have a pretty good shot at being like the five or six seed. I, I would have projected them for higher than that maybe before the Cavs and Nets moves and the news that happened with them. But they're going to be right in that mix in the Eastern Conference and they're going to be a problem for any of those sort of upper contender, upper crust teams as well because that's just what they do. They were really, really good against the best teams last season and that led to them having 48 wins. Um, let's kind of pivot over to the Knicks side of things, guys, because I'm a bit, like fascinated by this team. I, I think they are... Um, you know, kind of a victim of being in a really stacked conference. And if it were a different era of the Eastern Conference, say, you know, the mid 2010s, then the Knicks are probably being looked at it like a five or six, as like a five or six seed. But I, I know I, I kind of view them as sort of on the outside looking in, at maybe in that 10th spot, maybe below in the East right now. But I do think there's a guy who kind of has a lot of upswing to him and could really kind of dictate things and be the fulcrum of some sort of expansion of what the Knicks can do. And that's RJ Barrett, um, your second favorite Canadian. He, he, you know, there's always talk about Toppin and Grimes and Quickly and all these guys. To me, it just feels like Barrett's clearly the best of all these guys. He was the highest drafted, obviously. He seems like he's just obviously the guy you build around if you're the Knicks. And I, I think trading him for Donovan Mitchell would have probably been a problem. Am I biased in my Canadianness that I like RJ Barrett a little bit more than maybe the average person? Maybe, but What's your read on, like, maybe let's go Gavin first. Like, what's your read on Barrett? How good can he be? How good has he actually been? Like, it's so hard to sort of parse how good actually guys are versus, like, the hype of Nixdom and all of that. Um, yeah. Where are you at with, with R.J. Barrett? And, like, how can he sort of dictate the, the direction of this team going forward? Like, is he at all intertwined with what the upside of this team will be? Yeah, I think it, I think it's still very tricky because I think his first three years in the NBA for his type of game, he's had just about the worst offensive ecosystem that he plausibly sure. could with a coach in Tom Thibodeau, who um, at least relative to the rest of the NBA, not, not that he doesn't run some good stuff, but is 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 somewhat uh, lacking in terms of creativity uh, playing with. Uh, pretty much always a non-shooting center, which could hopefully change a little bit if he gets some run with Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, but having to deal with Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel throughout the first three years of his career, and then Julius Randle, who was who was a shooter for about half a season, and an incredibly good one for half a season, but that did not sustain outside of that. And and the fact that Randle often hijacks the offense and um, kind of takes over the role that RJ ideally would be playing it, and now that. That went over a distinct shift the second half of last year where RJ was clearly the number one guy. It was obvious coaching staff, team, everyone was on the same page that it, it was sort of his uh, bus to drive. And he did a fantastic job with that by and large. I, I think post-All-Star break, he was right around 24 points per game. The efficiency wasn't as good as you wanted, but it, it certainly wasn't terrible. A, a big thing for him throughout the early portion of his career that he was near the bottom of the NBA in terms of his ability to finish at the rim, but he started compensating in that respect by going from really, really terrible to merely bad and getting to the free throw line far more. I think post-All-Star, he was right around eight free throws per game. That made a dramatic difference. If he could recover some of the shooting that he showcased his second year or after the first six or games of the season or so, he was right around 40%. A lot of those were on spot-ups. So he needs to continue to make those. 
continue to progress off the dribble and um, find a way to be a consistent defender despite taking on a large slot offensively. I, I think his life and Alex, I'll throw this to you. I I, I, I want to say, like, I'll see if you agree with me. I know you agree with me on this. If they get Julius Randle off this team, I think everything becomes a lot more clear. And I think the contract they got him on is frankly fantastic. I think it was, it, mm-hmm. it was pretty fair, even if he doesn't become much of a better player than he was the second half of last year. And he's, he's 22 years old with a vicious work ethic, so he should continue to get better. But Alex, I, I know you're on the same page with me about being very excited about who R.J. Barrett is and perhaps even more excited about who he could be. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if I was going to do like what what you just did for Scotty Barnes, Sean, and kind of like yeah. set like a, a somewhat realistic and somewhat lofty expectation, like I think at this point, I would say the lofty expectation would be that RJ ends up in that Jimmy Butler tier, you know, mm-hmm. like that would be like the best case scenario for him. I think we use Jimmy Butler as sort of a a model for him a lot. Um, sure. And that's a guy that I've been bringing up as far as a ceiling comp for like the last two years, really, for him is like, you know, he's not he's not supernaturally athletic. Um, he has great functional athleticism, but more importantly, he has like like 99th percentile strength for his position. Right, right. Um, you know, he's been built like a grown man since he was like 16 years old, you know, and, and that shows like he definitely knows how to handle his body and, uh, you know, generate contact. And finally, towards the end of last year, started getting some of those sort of star-esque calls. And I think from the All-Star break on, uh, he was like top four in free throws drawn in the NBA or something like that. And he was a pretty high number. Um, and he finally started kind of getting the respect of the refs Granted, you want to see the rest of that efficiency come up, uh, but the fact that he was getting better at drawing those free throw attempts shows that he's starting to maybe get a little bit of respect to the refs around the league now, uh, which is nice. Uh, So that's like his ceiling, I think, is like Jimmy Butler. I I would say my reasonable expectation is that he probably becomes like a top 30, maybe top 20 player in the NBA. I know all these things are arbitrary, so it's kind of stupid to even say (laughs) that, but... You know, like let's he's say, a top like, twenty-two guy in the league, guys. Yeah, <laughs> he's right at twenty-two, uh, maybe twenty-three. <laughs> no, but like maybe in that like Chris Middleton type tier, and you know, I don't want to diminish Chris Middleton, who I think is an awesome player too. But like someone who could potentially be the second best player, you know, second best scorer, or whatever initiator on a championship team, sure. um, that can create shots, hopefully at all three levels. Um, I, I think that that's realistic for RJ Barrett. As far as the part of your question about how linked he is to the Knicks potentially becoming successful, I mean, I I think you alluded to it. Like, I kind of agree with you. I'm glad that they didn't trade him for Donovan Mitchell. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that they just locked him up to a pretty fair deal for a number of years. Granted, Donovan Mitchell isn't exactly on a mega deal either, so it's not like – it's not like that would have been a huge thing. Like, oh, you're giving up $30 million RJ Barrett for $50 million Donovan Mitchell. Like, it is only about a $6, 7000000 million difference between the two. That said, like, I think they signed into a good tr- contract with room to grow. And I, mm-hmm. I think that he should hopefully grow into that contract. I think right now he's not necessarily worth it. But for this next year, he's still on his rookie deal. So you get to sure. judge him through that prism for one more year and then start making a decision starting next summer of like, okay, how smart was this contract to give to him? My overall thought on him to wrap up is I just never bet against RJ because it sure. seems like he has that like 99th percentile work ethic. That dog in him. As the said. dog in him, yeah. <laughs> as some might say, the, the Mamba mentality, you know, whatever you want to call it. He's He seems to have that uh, despite being a, a number one guy in his like high school class and everything for so long. He doesn't seem to have ever let that get to him. Mm-hmm. He, and, you know, he's always seems pretty humble and willing to work and put in work into his game. And I'm really excited to see what he comes with, you know, to start this season, because it seems like every year he kind of surprises us with some cool new skills. So I, I I think the Knicks could go as high as he takes them, or he could just be that fixture that is there for a long time. 
and is just sort of lying in wait for when they do get that like number one sure. guy to take them over the top. So they didn't get the number one guy who I don't know if you deem Donovan Mitchell an actual number one guy or not. There's lots of number one guys. They're not all made the same. But either way, you didn't get Donovan Mitchell. The Knicks did not. Uh, obviously, much has been made of the negotiations with the Jazz. The Jazz not calling back, maybe because they're mad or something about that. I, I don't know. It all seemed like a very messy trade negotiation from the very beginning, from going back to when all the Knicks showed up at the playoff game just to kind of creepily scout Donovan Mitchell or whatever. <laughs> like, it, or or, or Jalen Brunson. Or J- Jalen Brunson was there. There too. you go. There, there you go. Um, I'll ask you about Jalen Brunson in a sec, but like Donovan Mitchell, they don't get him. Yeah, you know, I don't think they should have traded R.J. Barrett for him. At the same time, like, you got to at some point pull the trigger on one of these guys. And, you know, not getting him now, it kicks the can down the road a year or two potentially. And then you don't know what the situation is going to be then. Uh, Ultimately, do you think that the Knicks will regret not just sort of ponying up whatever the hell the Jazz were asking for and getting uh, Donovan Mitchell into Madison Square Garden? I, I don't think so. Um, and I think that's simply because they didn't have the tertiary pieces that the Cavs have to leverage someone like Donovan Mitchell and sure. the Knicks um, alleged big concern. And and you and I say alleged because the final package Knicks were offering were, was still very, very substantial. And seemingly the reason the Knicks did not want to give up a package that substantial, especially in terms of future pick equity, was they wanted enough of those assets left to make a trade for a second star down the line. Mm. I, I, I think the, the counter argument to that is you get Donovan Mitchell in the building, you become, or you continue to be as they have been the last two years, fairly confident. And in turn, you, you attract another star in free agency. But as we've seen of late in the NBA, that's not really the typical pathway for star movement. Guys are, are usually finding a way to get the biggest possible contract with their own teams and asking for a trade down the road. And, and in turn, I, I just think it would have left the Knicks somewhat trapped I think it's tricky because they they don't easily have access to that kind of talent, and I, I, I think the most most people who analyze this team seriously came to the same consensus. Donovan Mitchell is a talent unlike anything the Knicks have on their roster. I don't think anyone, maybe aside from RJ, has the ceiling of a mm-hmm. Mitchell, but it wasn't just RJ Barrett in the trade. It was also Emmanuel Quickly. It was also two or three picks, and. I, I think at the end of the day, whether it was because of the Knicks volition or the Jazz volition, it, it didn't get done. But the point is, it, it would have been too much. But Alex, I'll I'll throw that to you as well. Yeah, I'll just briefly say. I mean, I said this in our sort of uh, post mortem pod the other day about uh, the Mitchell saga. I didn't lose any sleep over the weekend that the mm-hmm. Knicks didn't get him. I just don't think it was for that price. I don't think it was the right move for them at this juncture because I don't know that you can throw the farm for Mitchell, which is, seems like that's what it would have cost for the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what their package would have been that would have matched up to Markinen, Sexton, and uh, Ajbaji, but like it probably would have been something. I mean, the thing is they don't really have those mid-tier pieces like a Markinen that's like not... I would say that I would rank like top and quickly, especially Barrett, you know, Grimes, ahead of Markinen based off of the potential still untapped sure. there versus what you've seen with marketing, but the Knicks don't really have a piece that's like in between that and like Evan Fournier, <laughs> yeah. you know? So it would have been like, okay, you would have had to sort of overpay on the players. They would have still wanted all the same picks. Like I just don't think it would have been the right move for them at this juncture because I, I think it would have capped them at maybe five seed ish, you know, mm-hmm. with how the East is right now. And I would much, you know, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to completely push all the chips in for a five seed and essentially become like the early 2000s Atlanta Hawks. You know what I mean? Like that, that wouldn't do it for me. So I was glad they ultimately didn't do it on the flip side. I said this too, like, I thought it was a fantastic move for the Cavs and I'm excited to watch them because I think that they were in the right position to do it. Um, I just don't think it was the right deal for the Knicks and, and thankfully, you know, if some of these uh, floated offers are to be believed where the Knicks were allegedly offering like RJ Mitchell Robinson, um, <laughs> OB. OB, I think, and, yeah. and like multiple picks the beginning of the summer. Like I'm really glad that Danny Ainge had the hubris <laughs> to think he could get an offer better than that and didn't take that offer because that would have, re- that one would have made me angry. If only the Knicks had proto marketing Andrea Bargnani still on the roster to throw in that deal. They could have made it happen. Or Porzingis, uh, right? Or Porzingis. They have a type. Uh, so 
Jalen Brunson, we, we should hit on him. Of course, he's the big addition in the free agent signing this offseason. No tampering there whatsoever. Totally clean. Uh, they bring in Jalen Brunson, and you figure he's going to kind of drive the boat for the most part with the offense. Maybe Barrett gets a little bit more responsibility this season, but Brunson's going to be the guy who's the primary initiator, you would think. Um, what were your thoughts on the deal? Alex, I'll throw this one to you. Like, was it a... You know, some people reacted to saying it was an overpay. Haha, Knicks. I kind of thought it was totally fine, like very nonplussed entirely. I think just by Jalen Brunson as a player in general, but maybe that's just my own anti-Mavericks misgivings kind of seeping into my evaluation there. But we, we have some like, of that here. <laughs> there you go. But is the Brunson deal like a game changer for this team? Is it like going to set themselves up for something bigger down the line? Or is it just like nice to get a competent point guard? And I know they were kind of hunting and sniffing after Fred Van Vliet a couple of years ago, didn't pony up the offer for him there. Whereas it, they went and got Brunson. Like, what do you think that does to sort of the, I guess the floor of the team and, and like where they're going to hang in the Eastern Conference now that Brunson's going to be the guy running a lot of their possessions? Yeah, I think that's the big question that, we're not going to know the answer to until we start seeing some preseason games and stuff. Like mm -hmm. we're going to need to see what the dynamic is between Brunson and more importantly, unfortunately, if he's still on the team, Julius Randall, like there, <laughs> there was a, like a pro-am tournament over the summer that Brunson, uh, Randall and Obi Toppin showed up and played one game for this, this one team, you know, in this pro-am tournament, uh, they wound up losing the game, which, like, who cares? I, a bunch of NBA players going, you know, 50% against semi-pros or <laughs> pros from overseas. Like, that doesn't – I'm not phased by the fact they lost the game, but a lot of people – I like the ones out, who go 100% against yeah, the right? insurance salesman. That's my favorite. Yeah, yeah that is the best. <laughs> but, like, the, the thing that everybody was pointing out during that was that Randall was forcibly still trying to take the ball up every time, even with Brunson right there. And that's the biggest fear, I think, for – most Knicks fans is that, you know, we're going to run into this situation where Tibbs still empowers Julius Randle to be the engine of the offense. And Brunson gets kind of cast to the side, despite, as you said, for a team that's been like wandering the desert, looking for competent point guard play for the last like 20 years, you know, <laughs> they finally have one. And, you know, if, if they're not then empowering that guy to run the offense, then what's the point? Um, right. As far as the contract, I mean, I've said all along, I think it's perfectly fair. I think people mm -hmm. still just have this, uh, especially Knicks fans. You know, there's been two notable hundred million dollar contracts under old uh, salary caps that did not work out very well for the Knicks. Allen Houston and Amari Stoudemire. Mm -hmm. I think that Knicks fans still look at hundred million dollar contracts, and I mean around the league too. I think people are still just adjusting to that being like a normal number that people get now. Sure. Um, but like, you know, you look at you see a hundred million, you go, oh my god, a hundred million. This guy just got way overpaid. And it's like, no, I mean, he's like the 14th highest paid point guard in the NBA starting this <laughs> season. That's really not that bad. You know, I, I think yeah. it's fine. And you know, as far as the tampering, like I I don't think there was that much either. I, I don't know about you, but I would Tampering's also fine. Who cares? We're all adults here. Tampering's also, fine I, if you want to do it. <laughs> even just from a pure dollars and cents perspective, I wouldn't turn down an extra seven million a season either, which is what he would have had to do to go back to the Mavericks. Because all yeah. they were they were offering the same contract essentially, but with one more year. So <laughs> they pushed all that salary, you know, to make it smaller. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It it the whole tampering thing doesn't make sense to me. Um Gavin, I'll throw it to you. I mean, I, I'll just quickly say as far as what this does for the Knicks and how it affects their ceiling or whatever, I think this is a move that is just made – you make this sort of move to build stability mm -hmm. and to build a competent team, which the Knicks have to their credit. Even though they kind of took a step back last year, they have been doing that over the last you know few years in the Leon Rose regime, slowly building this team up into something better. I think Brunson is just another move towards that. Hopefully he can retain some of the the flash that he showed in the playoffs and build off of that. That would be awesome. Uh, but even if he's just the player that he was with the Mavs with slightly more usage, uh, you know, during the regular season last year, then that's fine by me too. Because I think he was a really great player worth that contract even before the playoffs last year. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know if he's going to be like a superstar needle mover like a Donovan Mitchell would have been. But I think that he will, as long as the Knicks empower him to be the leader of the team and the point guard, you know, the floor general, whatever of the team, 
I think that he raises their ceiling a bit uh, and raises their floor a good deal just by finally having competent point guard play and not like the corpse of point guard X out there. Yeah, I think I think the only hesitation on it was how it will impact Emmanuel quickly going forward, who at least sure. I'm of the opinion. And I think Alex is as well as someone who could have taken up that mantle and been the next point guard for the Knicks. And I don't know, down the road, be roughly as good as a Jalen Brunson. But sure. overall, I just look at it as like adding another hyper efficient, super high IQ player. And, and the Knicks need as yeah. many of those as they can. And I think, Sean, you, you know this better than, than we do as Raptors fans, like the cumulative effect you have of adding one of those guys after another, after another. And, and eventually you, you have a final product that's more than the sum of its parts. Um, he mm-hmm. gives the Knicks flexibility down the road, whether it's, it's because they, they keep him and they, and they have that, that rock at the point guard spot. Or is a trade chip to eventually include in, in a deal for a greater star? Uh, I, I think he's going to make everyone's lives easier, even Randall's as long as he's on this team. But what I'm really hoping for is to see a lot of lineups where he gets to be out there with Quickly, with RJ, with Obi Toppin, maybe even with Quentin Grimes a little bit. And I think the collective passing that those groups have, especially if you throw a Hartenstein in there at center instead of a Mitchell Robinson, is really intriguing. Mm-hmm. And it, it will lead to the stretches of the most fun Knicks basketball we've had since 12 13 as far as winning goes um and and maybe that that's where we'll we'll wrap this up I mean to to counter our question with you and the Raptors how good the Knicks will actually be I I think the the best thing that could happen to the Knicks this year I I don't think it will is that they somehow stumble their way into a top five pick so suffice it to say post the Donovan Mitchell deal falling through wins are not a major priority for me this year the only priority I have is that the young guys get the vast majority of the minutes Julius Randle gets the heck off this team as soon as possible (laughs) even if that includes attaching a protected first round pick for him and we just get to see what these guys look like together because what really killed the Knicks in that Donovan Mitchell trade and what is killed them these last two years to some extent or another is not prioritizing guys they've taken with high draft picks, guys that that in, in Emmanuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes, absolute gems, some of the better picks in recent NBA history. We got to actually prioritize those guys, see what they all look like <laughs> together. And I think Jalen Brunson is, is a great vehicle to do that and make it all work. So in that sense, I, I think he was a fantastic signing. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you in that, like, wins probably aren't, like, top priority for the Knicks this year. If they make the 10 seed, I wouldn't be, like, stunned, but I kind of think we'll probably see, like, the Wizards have to try, right? Like, they don't have any other choice. They kind of have to try to go win 38 games and be the 10 seed. <laughs> like, God, that bottom part of the East makes me sad. But my last sort of one on this, related to the whole losing thing, if they do go and lose games this year and don't make the playoffs again for the second straight season after getting swe- lost, losing five to the Hawks a couple years ago, like, you mentioned competence, and, like, it's been competent and, like, mostly quiet by Knicks standards under Leon Rose in the last couple years. Is there a world in which another rough season where they finish in the lottery gets James Dolan being James Dolan-y again? Like, do you think he could, like, get weird, get fiery, get, like, itchy-trigger-fingered and, like, just say, all right, well, this isn't working, let's start anew and completely blow up all the competence that has been established over the last few years? I think no. Hmm. Um, I'll try to keep it somewhat brief because I don't think there's too much to get into here. But, like, sure, I it, Dolan hasn't really, outside of firing GMs and presidents that were clearly incompetent at the time sure. like phil jackson was like went like fully off his rockers towards the end of his <laughs> tenure steve mills and and scott perry you know they whiffed on the the summer of 19 and then things were underwhelming mm-hmm. that next year and that led to the change there in early 2020 but i also i don't even think i think that ultimately the only reason that mills and perry got canned was because of leon rose saying that he would do the job basically um you know because there was a very quick turnaround like people were like oh wow there's gonna be a long search for the next you know pobo or gm of the knicks and then like two weeks later it was like okay leon rose it's president now like (laughs) deals are being finalized he's closing up all of his you know all his books at caa but he's gonna do it so it seemed pretty obvious to me after the fact that dolan had spoken to him already he said he would do it and he was like heck yeah let's you know, I'll move heaven and earth to make this happen. You know, like, let's just do it because I've, I've wanted you to run the Knicks for a long time in all likelihood. Because uh, the Knicks have had a very public uh, relationship with CAA dating all the way back to Carmelo Anthony and before. 
Um, so, you know, they were always, I think Leon Rose was always sort of a goal for James Dolan. Um, as far as like the, uh, it, the overall like leash that Leon has, I think it's longer than your average Nick GM. Mm-hmm. I think that Dolan really trusts him due to those past ties to CAA and everything. I think that he really has a, like, I don't know. I think the freedom that he's given Leon to build like a giant staff really tells me like he's in it for the long haul with Leon. Sure, like there's, sure. there doesn't seem to be any of those like long-term nepotism Knicks guys around anymore. Um, it seems like he's really given Leon the ability to like build the staff fully. The Knicks have like really beefed up their analytics department. They've really beefed up their scouting department. He basically, I mean, he outside of Scott Perry, who he kept, which I think has actually worked out quite well. I think Scott Perry's popular among players, but like outside of him, it, there's as far as I know, like pretty much no holdovers in the right. basketball operations side from before Leon Rose getting there. It's pretty much all new people. Uh, so I, I think that Dolan really is in it for the long haul with him. I think even I, I'm pretty sure that Leon Rose could probably even sell to Dolan this year if the Knicks hit like January and they're really underperforming at that point, they'll fire Tibbs. I think that right. Leon could even sell a tank to Dolan this year and say, right. this is a fantastic draft. We have a lot of draft capital this year. Let's make the most of this for once and try to get a top pick again. Like we did for RJ. And you know, then we have RJ locked up already. We have Mitch locked up already. We have Brunson locked up already. You know, we'll do a little strategic resting down the stretch like the thunder do <laughs> And, you know, try to increase our odds as, mo- as much as possible because a top five pick in this draft could potentially alter the, the course of the franchise. Sure. Um, I think that's where they'll end up being. I, I think there's so outside of Leon Rose literally like speaking to the press, which he doesn't do anyway, uh, and saying like James Dolan is a psychopath and I hate working for him. I don't think there's a <laughs> single thing he could do to to get fired this year. I think he's pretty well safe. Plus, the New York Rangers are good right now, so Dolan's happy. Like, that's all he wants is the Rangers to be good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Priority. I always say to my dad, it's it's amazing he hasn't screwed them up. They seem seem very confident, (laughs) always. Um, But yeah, to Alex's point, I mean, the Knicks' best case scenario this year is is what happened to Toronto in in, in the Tampa year, where it's like a a stealth tank, and then you move up a couple spots, and oh, look, we got Scotty Barnes. All of a sudden, our future that was like, eh, we're going to be kind of average for a long time is like, no, we're on a really good trajectory. Worked out all right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, odds are odds are always against that. Even even if you get that high in the draft. But that being said, I'm I'm with Alex. I think the only way his the front office is in any danger is a is a repeat of last year. Which ironically, if they don't trade Julius Randle, I think there's a decent chance that you get you you get last year with more wins. Um, right. But I think if things start heading that direction, this front office is savvy enough to to back off of their previous plan because as as much as Knicks fans, myself included, lament. Tom Thibodeau and over and over again kind of scold him for like, oh, he won't play Obi Toppin. Um, and it, it seems pretty clear on some level that's endorsed by the front office continuing to bring in these veterans. And then weirdly on other times, they're not on the same page, like where they trade for Cam Reddish, but there's not a spot in the rotation <laughs> for him. All that is to say, I think as long as the team is fun, fans don't care and Dolan doesn't care how many games this team plays. I think it was from Ian Begley, but there was reporting out there that Dolan wasn't particularly upset about the Knicks getting, not getting Donovan Mitchell because he feels as if RJ Barrett is that type of draw for the Knicks already. And now to be clear, I think Mitchell would have taken it to another level in that he's just flat out one of the most exciting players on the planet, but Barrett brings that attractiveness and Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin bring that hype. They bring that energy. You actually play all those guys 30 minutes per game the vibes around the Knicks will be the best that they've been in 10 years and, and, and more sustainable than they've been in, in 25 years. So there's a lot to look forward to. The Knicks just can't lean into their worst tendencies from the past. But Sean, I think that's a fantastic place to wrap this one up. Uh, before we let you go, though, can you can you remind everyone where, where they can find all your great work? Yeah, you find me on Twitter at Woodley Sean. It's on the screen there for those watching on YouTube. Uh, last name, first name, because some dude in Australia got Sean Woodley, and I'm working on it, but he's blocked me at this point. Uh, <laughs> you can also, uh, yeah, check out Locked On Raptors every day in your favorite podcast apps, and on YouTube, it's uh, you know doing off season stuff. We did a lot of Kevin Durant talk in the off season. That was lovely to keep us going, and now we look ahead to what should be a pretty fun 2022-23 team. Sean, we get a lot of mean comments on YouTube whenever we talk about the Raptors. Is there any, any way you can you can send out a message to Raptors Nation that we're friends? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Look, why? Look, the Knicks have been very bad for most of everyone's adult lives at this point. 
Uh, why you gotta be mean? Like, go be mean to Celtics fans. They're the worst. Uh, we can all agree on that. Uh, this Knicks is what fans, I always say. I've never truthfully, understood. Yeah, yeah. Knicks fans are the best fans online. You guys are yeah. like self-loathing. You hate your team. That's what you want, <laughs> baby. You guys are the best fans. So yeah, I, I think if you guys ever got good, it would actually be bad for the vibes of the Knicks fans online for sure. So uh, while I'm not rooting for you to be sad all the time, I kind of am, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, never, look, look. yeah. I've Go never ahead, understood Alex. the whole the the hate of Knicks the Knicks and Knicks fans either. I'm like it's just, like the yeah. national narrative of like screw the Knicks. So like if, yeah, if, kick a you know kick someone while they're down. Why don't you? Yeah, we're, like, we're crapping on ourselves. There's no need for you to do it. I think yeah, that's like oh man, those Kings fans are so <laughs> yeah. annoying. They're the worst. Uh, they're they? high and mighty. Yeah, twenty years without the rate, playoffs, fans they think they're right the there. Yeah, yeah. At any rate, oh, Sean, God. make sure to tell them that I had the. Raptors as my top uh, draft pick in our futures drafts. So that there you go. You have that, and also you have that. I I am their favorite Canadian. So Raptors fans, if you like me, <laughs> don't be mean to the people whose favorite Canadian is me. So there you to, go. To be fair, <laughs> right, we gotta, gotta we, 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 we gotta wrap Canadian. this up. Yeah, we can't can't keep thinking people about this. Sean, thank you so much uh, for Alex. I'm Gavin Shaw. Uh, Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, We'll be back early next week. Until then, uh, peace out. Talk to you soon. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.